With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you know anything about me, you know that today's interview is beyond a gag. It's so much fun. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you'd give it a five-star review. And if you want to watch bonus interviews with these guests, we've got today's guests, Jessica Voss, Jackie Burns, a ton of Elphabas, Ben Fankhauser, Lemon from Canada's Drag Race, all sorts of extra fun bonus content over on the Patreon. So sign up there and enjoy this episode. Hello, my lovely Slumber Party listeners. It's your host, Tim Murray, and you're listening to the podcast where I interview drag queens, comedians, and Broadway stars about their slumber party experiences growing up. And today, we have such an icon in the house. If you don't scream when I announce who this guest is, then you need to giddy on up and giddy on out because we have Miss Amber Von Tussle in the house. We have, I know some people listening to this might have heard of the musical Legally Blonde. We have Elle Woods in the house. Please welcome to the stage, television star, Broadway star, and recording artist, a woman of tomorrow, Laura Bell Bundy. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good. I'm I'm legit doing great. I had wine with lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. What kind of lot? What's your what's your wine of choice? My wine of choice is a Rombauer Chardonnay. I like a real buttery Chardonnay with a popcorn aftertaste. Um, <laughs> but in this case, I was just having um, a sensible rosé. Um, it was my sister-in-law's birthday, and it is, and we celebrated and went to a lunch. And I looked at my husband, he looked at me, and he's like, I'm getting a Guinness. I'm like, well, I'm getting some wine. Hell yeah. Who's driving. get behind the wheel somebody because i got interviews to do i'm imagining you with your album coming out right now i'm imagining you with that uh lady gaga meme that you ever see that meme where she's like it was just bus another bus club club another club (laughs) interview interview podcast youtube interview club (laughs) except for in my case it's like zoom 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 you know, we... Sister-in-law lunch. Zoom, <laughs> zoom, zoom. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. I mean Change the diaper. Change the diaper. <laughs> Get on. I mean, with the, the, the zoom of it all, I can't wait till I can hopefully one day see you in person and we can share a, a rose wine in real life because I'm so tired of looking at this computer screen. I'm so thrilled to see you. I've never had so many conversations with other people where I looked at myself. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what I mean. It's so distracting. Uh, I do therapy on Zoom and I've started blocking my face out when I do it because I just can't look at myself so much. I started to do the same thing. I even had like uh, like a screen test thing for I had to do recently where everyone disappeared and I had to do the scene. And I heard the casting director's voice and all I saw was my own face. It was <laughs> the 
most distract awful it was awful it was the worst thing ever um you know because as actors we're taught to react it's like how do you react to your own self saying the line right then it's just it's the it was awful it was just a, it was <laughs> that sounds like an actual nightmare <laughs> it, it, I that it is I had one during Halloween time where they were like, okay, all we want you to do is look at yourself on the Zoom and scream. And I was like, okay. Um, I could hear my roommate like behind me like working on something in the hallway. I was like, I'm not exactly in a in a space to, um, to blood curdling scream. And I did it and they were like, that wasn't loud at all and not convinced. It was so crazy. Oh my God. (laughs) But I hope that this ends sometime soon so that we can bump to your music in the clubs. (laughs) I hope so. Laura Bell, this album, this album, I, okay, I listened to it yesterday for the first time and was like, this is so, so good. What, can you talk a little bit about your inspiration for writing it? Sure. So uh, it's called Women of Tomorrow. And every song deals with a different issue that women are facing today. And it's kind of sounds like a classic MGM movie musical with some modern elements, occasionally some hip hop beats, uh, some sort of more modern pop production. But we're definitely uh, talking about a modern subject and in a, in modern speak, right? Um with in terms of the lyrical content. And I was inspired to do this, um, like many people, um, after the 2016 uh, election, the internal stirring uh, happened inside of me, feeling the double standard in terms of the way that Hillary was treated versus Donald Trump. And that really kind of, I was like, have I been living under a rock? Cause I mean, I am feeling the double standard. Like I have never felt it in my life. And I am feeling terrified as a woman that there are rights that I have that will be taken away. And I, uh, I had this, I, I literally double standard. And I thought, you know, it'd be great to do an album where two women come together to do a duet on a jazz standard all in the name of of women's rights. Well, what ended up happening is I made that a concert at the town hall in 2017, where Broadway stars um, and celebrities and comedians uh, came together to sing duets on jazz standards, all in the name of women's rights and women's health. And we raised over $100,000 for ACLU, Planned Parenthood and National Breast Cancer Coalition. And it just we had uh, just these most amazing women like Sarah Bareilles, Rosie O'Donnell, Danae Benton, Adrian Warren, uh, Jesse Mueller, all these Leslie Margarita. I mean, I could go on like all the just these amazing women um, dedicating their time and their talent to this cause. And after that, I decided I wanted to do an album. So I started writing it with the name double standards in mind. And because I'm a songwriter, instead of just doing standards, like that's why the lady's a tramp, (laughs) um, I just started writing original songs with that style in mind. So we're sort of taking this old school style where uh, 
women's submission and the patriarchy was at a very fine height in the 50s in terms of musically. And we're flipping that on its head. And the reason that I call it Women of Tomorrow is like, did you ever go to Disney World and and you'd go in and it was like Tomorrowland, <laughs> right? Yes. So that's why the cover, the artwork, it's like what they thought the future would look like in the 50s. And they were like, we're going to go to the moon. And you know, all of this. Um, so uh, yeah. So yeah, that's the idea. I think that that is so, it's so clear, honestly. I mean, this is the biggest compliment of all time. It's clear from the first eight bars of the very first song of American Girl. You're like, I literally got chills. I was like, oh, this is, the point of view of this whole album is so specific and so clear and so fun. I love when something has like such a clear message and, you know, sort of a serious message and you still make it so so fun to listen to. I heard you say in an interview that it was sort of like the throwback style of it is kind of ironic. And I love yes. that. It's like, it's, when I when I first heard it, I immediately thought, especially the song with Anika Noni Rose and Shoshana Bean, uh, forgive me, it's called... Get it, girl, you go. Get it, girl, you go. I was like, this is like the Andrew Sisters meets Lana Del Rey meets... 2021 Laura Bell Bundy like it's just so it's so so much fun I could see myself just like bopping to it like driving to Malibu or bopping to it like honestly putting on makeup or like like it just is it's such a blast and what you said about the 2016 election is so I think uniquely cool because so many of us were so traumatized by that and I remember voting that day, I was living in New York at the time, and I voted in Harlem. A room full of black women were, like, setting up the voting booths, and they were the ones running this booth. And I voted for Hillary Clinton, and I remember leaving and crying and being like, whoa. Like, you know, women of color just facilitated me voting for a woman. Like, this is so huge. I texted my sister, who is a real-life Elle Woods. She's a blonde lawyer who is a sorority girl. And then when it didn't turn out that way that was like so traumatic so it's amazing that you were able to take this and make it into something new well I think a lot of people um and women in particular um really felt unsafe um when that election went down and and again, you know, you have this incredibly qualified person, no matter what you want to say about her, people may not like her, but she was incredibly qualified based on her experience. And then you have this other person who really doesn't have many qualifications for the job. And the way that she was treated in the media, you know, like, oh, she laughed too much or she didn't laugh enough or she smiled too much. She didn't smile enough or what's she wearing? And, and all of the things we were talking about instead of the qualifications and things like that really started to make me go, ooh, why does that always have to be the focus with women? Yeah. You know, why is it always on the appearance and the outside and the desirability? And that really frustrates me. And then when you have someone who openly spoke about uh, essentially uh, sexually assaulting women whenever he wanted to, um, whether that was a euphemism or not, this is the person that is 
believes that they can is saying these things and they're the they're going to be the leader of the land and how many other people are now going to think that that's socially acceptable to do and so you have a lot of women who and that's where the women's the women's movement the biggest women's movement since the 1970s happened in 2017 as a result like a boomerang effect as a result of that election and i think that this album i wrote to be a soundtrack to that women's movement and to address certain issues um that I think that we deal with, whether that's equal pay or breaking the glass ceiling or unattainable beauty standards, obsession with social media, um, connecting as women and infighting and catfighting and um, and our relationship with men and um, all of that we're addressing through music. And it's easier to it's easier to hear a difficult subject uh through music it's easier to swallow the pill of some difficult information it's the peanut butter on the pill yeah yeah it's, it's the peanut butter on the pill um and and not all of it is difficult information like get a girl you go is the celebration of how far we've come and women doing it all and you know she's got a baby here and she's going to law school and she's gonna run for senate and you know she's got she's doing it all and women really are incredibly amazing and powerful. At the end of the day, that's what this album really is. It is to empower, to, uh, my dog is barking at the Amazon truck. Um, <laughs> Polly! No, she, she's not gonna stop until he goes. She's not gonna stop. She's feeling empowered uh, right now. She's, she's, letting, she's letting out her voice. We gotta let totally. her let out her voice. Come on, Polly. At the end of the day, the album really is about educating women and empowering women and also educating men and empowering men, too. The, the thing is, equality makes things better for everybody. Right. That is just the truth. That's the, the more we all know, the better things are going to be. A lot of women listen to this podcast and a lot of gay men listen to this podcast. And I think this album is really wonderful, especially for the gay males that listen to this podcast or some straight males too, that it's very informative as well. You know, it's like to be a good ally, to actually help women in this way, you need to know what you're talking about. I didn't know what a thigh gap was until very recently. <laughs> I'm very gay. I should know what that is. But I heard it in um, Digital Disease. Is that the name? Yeah. I, oh my God. <laughs> love that song. It was so good. I was like, I could see myself turning off my social media for like three days and just walking and, and being on a hike and listening to this song and having it heal me. It's so fun and so informative, which is like the best combo of, of for, for listening to music. Speaking of music and speaking of gay people, <laughs> what? Okay, I have to ask you, do you have favorite music videos? Like of, of any music video you've seen like from your childhood or now? Like, is there a video that you love or, or a couple that you love? Oh, yeah. Um, ooh. I got to think about it. Um, I loved all the Madonna 
music videos. I mean, I loved Express Yourself. It was kind of simple, but I just loved Express Yourself. Um, That one is so good. Like a Prayer is so good. I never really liked the ones where it was essentially like a garage band, like a camera was put there. And that I always felt like those were just awful. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, any Janet, Janet Jackson, listen, if there was dancing going on, I loved it, right? If you, I loved a Janet Jackson, like Rhythm Nation. Oh, oh my gosh, Rhythm Nation is so, so good. <laughs> Anything that David Bowie did too, um, I love. Oh, yeah. I love David Bowie. Um, I would say my faves of all time are like Britney Britney Spears' Baby One More Time, Celine Dion, it's all coming back to me, Reba (laughs) Fancy. Oh, Reba Fancy, definitely. That's a movie as well. She just comes with that huge coat and she's fancy, (laughs) fancy. It's like a full film. And then I would have to put within those Giddy Up, Giddy On Up by Laura Bell Bundy. Did you know? that that song was going to be gay canon. <laughs> Did you know when you're making it, were you like, this will play in the gay bars 100%? No, I didn't. Um, I mean, I could only hope that that <laughs> was the case. I I always thought I was a gay man trapped in the body of John Bonet. <laughs> and... I always say if I wrote a book about my life, it would be called If John Bonet Lived the Life and Times of Laura Bell Bundy. Oh my God. <laughs> but I, listen, everything I learned in my life about how to sing, how to dance, uh, how to tell a story was from a gay man. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Dolly Parton could say the same and so could Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I, did this video, I I thought, you know, I want to do like a Bessel Whorehouse in Texas kind of vibe at the beginning when he walks in and um, and then I'm going to jump out of the window and it's going to, I'm the cowboy and then it turns into like like a country Britney Spears or like, like a backwoods Beyonce situation. Yes. And, um, and then, it, yeah, we made it happen. Um, it was interesting though, I will say this, that the head of marketing at my label was a gay man named Jason Owen, who's gone on to become um, a manager and do incredibly well. He manages Casey Musgraves and Little Big Town. And um, and he was like, I think this song needs to, we need a gay remix and we need to, we need to, we need to put this in the gay club. And he did. I think my first ever gig my first ever live performance of the song was at splash oh yeah 17th street (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was besides like on an acoustic guitar like the first time ever it was like a remix thing and i had like these pull away um gag uh, um (laughs) like chaps (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, had these, like, I had these like rip off chaps <laughs> and uh, uh yeah i said that some so some so wild amazing. things that night 
That is so incredible. Splash is no longer with us. She she made she rest. I think she closed. She perished. Like, she perished a few years ago. But that was such a such a fun bar. And anytime I've seen your video come up in a gay bar, the gays lose their shit. We just freak out. It's just it's so so fun and it's great storytelling. It's like very much like in the in the realm of those other videos we were talking about, where it's just like it's such a blast it's such it's my it's my favorite kind of pop or country music where there's like such a clear and fun narrative in it it's so so much fun i love um here's my belief about live performance and music videos people don't listen to them they watch them Mm -hmm. so you have to have something visually interesting going on and i love telling a story so I'm all about that when it comes to a music video and when it comes to a live performance. Yes, I love that. I mean, that's so clear in that video. It's so, I mean, yeah, you you, you crashing in and out of those windows and having that <laughs> a, a hot guy crashing in and out of those windows and then dancing in, it's just the whole, the whole vibe is so, so much fun. Did Thanks, you Bill. always know that you were funny? Like, since you were little, were you like, oh, this is, this comes naturally to me? Um, so I was a pretty good mimic. I think I learned how to act. I learned how to sing. I learned how to do everything, dance, everything, because I was good at mimicking. And when, and when you are a mimic, which always, it was like, uh, almost a, like a ear, ear training. Yeah. I could do lots of different accents and dialects and impersonations. And I made people laugh with the impersonations as a young kid. And I was like, oh, I like this. You know, I was like, <laughs> I yeah. like uh, you laughing at me. Yeah. And then I think, I think then everything else was like, how do I get you to laugh at me? And then that's when I figured out the comedic timing of it all. But I really do think I was also, I also learned comedic timing by watching the things that I watched growing up um, and also by literally being spoon fed it by the guys who created Ruthless, which was this musical that I did as a kid. Um, And it was very, very campy, you know, like, just the campiest. It's like a parody camp- of Gypsy. Is that the deal? It's a parody of a couple of different things. Like the first act is really like a parody of the Bad Seed. Oh right, right, okay. Which this weird, terrifying movie. Iconic horror movie. Yeah. With these tap shoes that kills this little boy for a penmanship medal. <laughs> and originally, <laughs> I know, I know, it's like a comedy. Um, but what they. But Marvin Laird and Joel Paley turned it into a comedy and they uh, they wrote a musical about this particular film and they couldn't get the rights to it. They'd written this whole musical. I was like doing the readings of it at nine years old. And when they couldn't get the rights, they changed it to be about a little girl who killed another little girl for a part in a play. And then it really was a comedy, no. (laughs) Um, And then the second act, the second act, it kind of has more themes about more gypsy stuff and all about Eve. 
Oh, right. So you've okay. got, you've got like, you've got the bad seed, all about Eve, Gypsy, and and all of these references in that musical. And again, you know, it, it was a comedy. It was also dark. I killed another little girl, and we made jokes about it. As so. <laughs> nine you're like this is right sure whatever. I really have like an understanding of how to tell a joke properly uh and also dark comedy but i will tell you this as i as i grew up i i would then think about lines from the show and go oh now i get it <laughs> I, I just didn't quite understand all of it you know if you saw um, it at a regional theater now would- you'd be like and the whole time you'd probably be like, oh, that's so funny. Oh, that's what it is. Uh, that's so funny because I think we all have that experience when we've watched movies and you watch them back when you're older, but you were actually in the show delivering those lines. And now you think about it, you're like, oh, that, that makes sense to me now. Yeah, exactly. Did you cross over with Miss Britney Spears and or Natalie Portman? Well, yes, definitely. Because I never left the show. I... I uh, I opened the show and I closed the show and I had a few understudies and there were three. Um, Brittany was the second one and she was, uh, she was awesome. I mean, she was nice. We didn't really know each other that well. She was quiet. Um, but I think she went on for me for one or two weeks when I went to film a movie, which was my first movie ever filmed. And um, and then she left and Natalie came in to do the show and um, and Natalie and I became great friends. Like we had a lot of fun together. We used to like put on pageants in uh, <laughs> big pageants in the living room <laughs> uh, with our other girlfriends. And, uh, and actually Macaulay Culkin was a friend of mine at the time. Stop. We went to school together. And he and Kieran and their sister Quinn, we would all like do these like pageants in the living room. And Matt, uh, Mac would MC, and Kieran would basically impersonate me um, <laughs> because I was obsessed, obsessed with that musical pageant. Do you remember the 100%. musical pageant? Oh they my god! Back, they brought it back to New York like maybe like five or six years ago, for only for a couple months. It, oh my god! I loved this thing so much when I was 11 years old. I made my parents take me on my birthday. They had a Monday night show. It was my day off from Ruthless. And I, and I, they let me judge. And it was the greatest moment of my life because I got to judge the musical pageant. But then I would put on my own pageants at my house with Natalie Portman and Macaulay Culkin. It was just the, and Kieran Culkin too. It was just the craziest. I had a very bizarre upbringing. Half of it I spent in Kentucky. And the other half, I was in New York City, and uh, which is funny because now I live. I just moved to an eighteen-acre farm with sheep on it, an hour outside of New York. So this is just a perfect. This is me. This is my life. This is this is your life. I I that my jaw is like literally on the floor. That is so that is so much fun. Also, I'm like dying to see a pageant movie with you. We we need a Laura Bell Bundy. Uh, like adult pageant movie, something in the vein of Passion the Musical, like <laughs> in such a in such a real way. And I cannot, bl- I mean, Britney Spears was your understudy. Like that is tr- truly like 
Michael Jackson level, like one of the most famous people to ever live or breathe on this earth. Understudied you in a show. Like that's such a crazy, what a wild, what a wild, wild thing. And I love yeah, that no, and I it's so funny because I just remember her being this sweet, kind of quiet girl. And her sister was with her in in like a stroller and her mom. And I and there was one day where like nobody was making any money doing ruthless. It was like you know, you almost needed a side job if you were going to like live in New York City and also be in this musical in the on the uh, in the West Village where the theater held 99 people. It's like you weren't really going to make enough money to afford your rent. And I remember they were struggling. And my mom was like gave them cab money to get home one night because it was um, it was like it was like late and it wasn't safe to take the subway. It's crazy. Yeah. That you know, so crazy. They talk about that a little bit in the in the documentary. Did you see the doc? The frame. I have it. And somebody just reached out to me to be a part of some documentary. Um, and you know, again, I don't know. When we were kids. Like I, I, I don't remember that much. I didn't have that much uh, connection with her because I was on stage all the time and she was not the difference with natalie though somehow natalie and i forged a friendship like we literally went to have dinner in between shows together every day by ourselves <laughs> like sometimes <laughs> the parents sometimes we just like walk next door and have a plate of pasta at the minute tavern you guys at nine years old walking into sardis being like yeah table for two <laughs> seriously when we were um we we were definitely compadres like we we had quite a connection. She almost convinced me to be uh, convinced me to be a vegetarian at ten years old. Um, oh my god! <laughs> told me what awful things they did to the chickens. I remember we were at the Brown Derby, and I, and they were like, "What do you want?" And I was like, "I'll take a beef tenderloin or whatever I order." <laughs> and she she said the caprese salad. They brought her caprese salad. They bring my big hunkin' thing of red meat, and she's like. Do you know what they do to the chickens? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh God. Oh God, should I really eat this? And I was like, well, what do they do to the cows? Don't tell me that. You know? Don't tell me that. Don't I'm, tell she's me just that. watching you bite into it. She's like, enjoy your meal. But while you watch, here's the food ink, the documentary. <laughs> watch it as you eat. <laughs> I know. But what I love is that, like, there she was at 10 years old with this belief system set in stone. And she wasn't judging me either. Like, you know, she was just informing me. Um, right. When you're 10, it's like the best thing in the world to be like, I have information. I'm going to give to somebody. <laughs> exactly. like, I get to share this with someone. I think yeah. you would really like the Britney doc because, I mean, there's obviously the Britney Spears of it all, the supernova star of it all. But then there's like a really interesting, completely intertwined in their conversation about the way women are treated in media and in especially in the business. And I mean, the whole narrative around like her breakdown and how it was portrayed in the tabloids is mm -hmm. given such a different perspective in this documentary where you're like, as I was watching it, I was like, that's not a woman having a breakdown. That's a woman taking the power back for herself and saying, leave me the F alone. I don't like want to be treated as your Barbie toy anymore. It's very, it's very, very uh, fascinating to say the least. I got to tell you, there was no doubt in my mind 
when that was going on, what was going on? Mm-hmm. This is a person whose childhood was stolen from them. Mm-hmm. This is a person who was not able to go through the normal stages of puberty and early adulthood where we make mistakes mm-hmm. without doing that in front of the public eye. And so there was no privacy. There was no ability to like make a mistake and learn from your mistake and get back up on your horse again. She was she was ridiculed and shamed for any type of lesson she would try. How we learn from we learn from our mistakes. Mm-hmm. We learn from those like early years. We're not perfect people. And when you're when you are sort of idolized like she was into this perfect, also very uh, uh, sexualized she was as, mm-hmm. as well, but this perfect sort of person and held to this higher standard, how are you supposed to learn anything? How are you supposed to grow? And I really felt bad for her. I really have always felt for her as someone who knew her as a child and as someone who was able to live anonymously in my early, in my teens and my early adulthood and make a shit ton of mistakes and have whatever boyfriends I wanted to have and have people not know about it or kiss a girl and like it, whatever it Mm -hmm. was, I was able to do that and deal with my own shit privately. Mm -hmm. And when you're not able to do that, um, not only do you stunt your growth, but you're going to lose control. At some point you're going to want to burst yeah. You're just going to you're going to you're going to take a stand and say get out of my life, stop taking pictures of me, allow me to live my life. Um I've always felt really really bad. And you know, that's that's a um that's like a interesting thing to examine about our society and idolization and fame. Mm-hmm. You know, we always think, God, I want to grow up. I want to be famous. I want to be a movie star. I want to have everybody love me. And the reality is that's not what happens even when you get that. It's like the, her song, She's So Lucky, She's a Star. Yeah. But she cries, cries, cries. Well, there's, <laughs> yeah, you have everybody love you, but you also have everybody ridicule you and they don't even know who you are. So they love you for the wrong reasons. And it's kind of one big old mess. Uh, and I think about two, you know, I started a very young and a lot of people go like, oh my God, like Britney Spears uh, was your understudy. Natalie Portman was your understudy. And these are household names. Like, how does that make you feel? And what make what I've gotten to as someone who just turned 40 years old is my God, I'm so glad that I've been able to live my life the way I've been able to live my life. And I've been able to focus on my work as being about my work Mm. and about being a creative person and an artist as opposed to the goal of my work to be to attain some sort of sort of fame or notoriety. Um, Because that is so that has so many. um, What's the word? unknown uh consequences that, and, a, 
like yeah, yeah it, that, it, that's it, got its own set of handcuffs yeah uh, truly 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 and i mean i think i hope that that's really inspiring to a lot of the young theater people who listen to this podcast because i think that that's really really true that so many of us get caught up in that narrative of like it's gonna be it has to be like this and i, I want it to look like this i want to be super super famous um and you have gotten to be so creative. You're so inspirational to me as someone who has started as a musical theater performer. Now I do stand up primarily. You have, you know, created your own like sketch comedy company, basically, and your own written your own albums. And you're totally nominated actress. And you've been in TV and you've been in movies and you've been able to. It, it's really nice to hear. And I really hope listeners take this to heart that it is the creativity that will always be the joy, that will be the reward. It's not yes. the fame validation. It's it's the it's the making of the thing that is what's so so great. Right. And here's the thing, you know, when we talk about I guess we all do things. We all the root of why we do anything is to be loved. Mm-hmm. And the only way to truly be loved is to be known. for who we are. And the only way to be known for who we are is to show someone who we really are, scars and all, and to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and to admit fault. Now, when you've achieved such a high level of fame, you're trying to hide that as much as possible because you're literally broken down and torn down for that unless you say it first. Um, So... For me, uh, how am I going to feel love is to just directly connect with my source. And I do that by being inspired and having ideas like inspired is in spirit. I have in I get I'm inspired. I think, oh, you know what would be a funny sketch? I'm going to do that sketch. I'm going to write that song called You Can't Pray the Gay Away. And I'm going to do it at a kid's camp. And let me call this person and tell them. And, you know, and that sort of those ideas, it's people coming together with ideas and exploring and. um, And you are the source. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not this outward. Yes, and real connection. And as actors, too, you know, as as. Okay, as songwriters, we connect when we tell the truth in our songs. As actors, we connect when we tell the truth as actors. Yeah. And we do the same with other people. When we tell the truth, we connect with other people. Um, Sometimes it's... That is really... I'm so glad you said that because I think this podcast started, I I mostly was interviewing gay comedians about their slumber party experiences growing up. And that has been this really kind of beautiful theme, the truth. Like when you're a queer person growing up, you don't have truth. You, you lie to the world. If you know that you're gay, Mm -hmm. you hide it. Usually some people are very lucky and they are in a safe space and they come out really young but most young gay people lie to themselves and to others for many 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 years and it's so interesting that you just said that that it's the truth is is our whole source of you know connection and and, and why we're here and 
it makes a lot of sense that gay people are so obsessed with Britney Spears and obsessed with these icons and these idols because it, we relate to that thing that you were talking about. Totally. She, she wasn't able to be true to herself. She was because of the spotlight, which right. is, you know, young women right. have to deal with that on a, on a daily basis. Like you're talking about with this impossible beauty standard, like lying in our, in our, with our digital disease, like putting fake photos out into the world or, you know, gay people not being able to be true to themselves. It's like all, it's all kind of the same thing, isn't it? What we talk about in digital disease, the song is that we're obsessed with getting likes right? We're obsessed with getting approval. Well, that's so deeply rooted, right? Mm -hmm. We want approval from our parents. Mm -hmm. If you're gay in a straight world, my God, you're just looking at every, you know, like me, I hope you like me. I hope, I hope you can accept me. And now we have a whole culture based on freaking likes. Mm -hmm. And it's getting liked by people who don't even know who you are. And so then you're curating a photo to make yourself look just perfect. So not only are you being liked by people you've never met, know nothing about you, you're being liked for completely wrong reasons. You're being liked for something that even isn't even you. Mm -hmm. um, and we spend all day on social media. My last question for you of the pod mm -hmm. is what were your slumber parties like growing up? Well, I told you about one of the slumber parties because those pageants, oh my those God, pageants so that I would fun. do with my girlfriends and with Natalie and uh, my friend Alex Gazella, those were always slumber parties. And so we would, basically my mom would have her friends over and they would like sit on the couch or someone, you know, or one of the parents and we would put on these full-blown pageants. We would do the, costumes yes. and we have characters and um you know i i was like i was all <laughs> i mean every <laughs> every different pageant contestant i did um would not actually be politically correct anymore um but i was just picking from everybody but we we would do we just we had so much fun and then we would get judged and a winner would be picked um that's so that funny. was fun. And then as a as a kid in Kentucky growing up, um oh God. Uh we what were had, your movies? What were your like slumber party movies that you'd watch? Well, I do remember one of my I think maybe my first slumber party, they watched a scary movie and it was for Halloween. And I called my mom because I was like, I hated scary movies because I think life is just terrifying to begin with. <laughs> Why do you have to scare me more? Um, but then like as we got older, it was like we were going to figure out how we were going to watch the PG 13 80s movies with the naked girls in the shower room. And yeah, that's what it was having. Like those Rodney Dangerfield or like, Oh, the, um, yes. Oh, what was it called? Um, science. The, um, um, weird science. Weird science. Weird science. Loved that one. That was a definitely dirty dancing. Always watch the dirty dancing. I think we watched hairspray too. Um, but definitely Grease and Dirty Dancing and Weird Science and any of those like 80s movies where people got naked. Um, those were always like the slumber party. <laughs> that was so funny. I know exactly what Rodney Dangerfield movie you're talking about. I can't think of the title, but it's like they're at camp. And I just remember being like, this is so Is bad. it Ladybugs? No, 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 no. I do love that movie. I do I love Ladybugs too. I can't remember. But it was something they're old, they're a little bit older. Yeah. But I loved all those like 
um, those like sweet 16. I loved um, Lover Boy with Patrick Dempsey. I've never seen that one. Patrick Dempsey. Oh, oh my God. A dream boat. Love, uh, loved all those growing up. So yeah. And then my mom, okay. My mom was, my mom was hilarious, but my mom did this <laughs> character when I would have slumber parties and we would all like be kind of getting tucked in and she would take ketchup like a big thing of ketchup and pour it all over her like silk pajamas and come out, come downstairs and go, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and she'd go, huh? <laughs> huh? she did this character called Hayne and everyone would Scream, even me. I knew it was my mom. Scream, <laughs> bloody murder. Scream, scream, scream. That she sounds so scary. Even right now at this moment, I'd like. I'll tell you. Yeah, so she did that when, like, I think we were, like, more like 9, 10. But then also in high school, she did it. And then we were still terrified. But also, in the ninth grade, I went to a school that was for, it ended in the ninth grade before we went to high school. And so we were, like, the seniors and my mom, we had a big slumber party at my house. And she's like, come on, girls, get in the car. We're going toilet papering. <laughs> and we went and toilet papered the guys' houses in our class. And we, a couple of the girls, like we had been kind of talking about it. A couple of the girls took the rolls of toilet paper from the school itself. Those big, big, big ones. And uh, my mom had a, a blue and white Econo line van right van basically um but <laughs> um she had this she had it and she would say okay i'm gonna stand at the end of the street and if i hear any sirens or if i see anybody coming i'm gonna just <laughs> tap the horn and like you stand here and you stand here so we went in those yards we threw up that toilet paper and it came back down and then she'd be like come on girls hop the horn and we went to start <laughs> <laughs> and she'd start moving the vehicle before the both doors were shut. Um, we had so much fun. Oh my God, that is so fun. Toilet papering is such a Midwest thing. I'm from Ohio and that's <laughs> like, you. it was a rite of passage. Like you had <laughs> to toilet paper somebody's house growing up. It was, that my mom was so against good. egging. She's like, now listen, that's just disrespectful. If you that's egg rude. somebody's car, you can't get it off. You got to get a new paint job. Toilet paper, that's just tedious. You can pick that up in your front lawn. But what happened is it rained that night. So How I have never, I ever, I have not ever heard the end of it from one of the guys. He goes, my poor mother was cleaning up the, I mean, to oh this day, we're friends, but, um, but yeah, so I will say um, my mom was really a fun mom for being a teenage girl. Like she was really game for that stuff. And I think she did it on purpose. She was very smart because I think she did it on purpose. And she was like, listen, I'm going to be the cool mom. And all your friends are going to want to do things over here because I'm the cool mom. And then I'll be able to keep my eye on you. Mm -hmm. She was very, very smart in that way. Under, I told my mom under supervision. I told her everything. I didn't have a curfew either. She's like, listen, the worst thing that could happen to me 
is you think you got to be home by midnight. It's 1245. You're still out at a field party and you start driving fast at home and have a car wreck. I'm Mm going to give you a cell phone. You're going to call me and you're going to answer the phone when I call. If you don't, you can't go out. But you're going to answer this phone and you're not going to have a curfew. But I'm going to need you to talk to me. So I did it. And... All my friends, well, what would they do? They wanted to come spend the night at my house because they didn't have a curfew, but um, (laughs) the parties would be over and I'd be like, yeah, mom, everybody had to go home. We're going over to Taco Bell because it's the only place open or like Waffle House. Oh, Uh, yes. Would you give me a chicken burrito supreme (laughs) and some churros? (laughs) (laughs) She knew what she was doing. She knew what she was doing. It's so smart. My parents let me drink always growing up. And it was genius because they were like, we know if you we drink with us, you're not going to go out there and try to find it. And yeah, like you're saying, like do something stupid. Like you yeah. you know that it's it was like total transparency. And it was honestly so smart. I was like, this it was. Works. I didn't drink. I was afraid to not have control. Um, but the rule was for my mom if y'all are coming over here, I don't care what you do as long as you put it in a plastic cup and you don't leave. Heck yeah. Smart. Um, I'm revealing my mom's little secrets, but <laughs> by the end of the I actually think that she she did it right. Cause you know this is gonna happen anyway. Um and I was just really kind of open about it. My dad was kind of the same way with me in terms of like, he's like, Do would you like some of my wine? Um and I was like, yeah, I'm just not really into it. And I don't think he believed that. Um, but my mom did. And I was always the designated driver for all my friends. Um, now I'm a lush, but it took me a while. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask you, when you said you left Ruthless to go do a movie, was that movie Jumanji? No, that was um, The Adventures of Huck Finn, which is ironic <gasps> because my son's name is Huck. Huck now. Oh my but gosh, I love not that. Not because of the movie, but it was with Elijah Wood <gasps> and Courtney Vance. And then uh, Jumanji was a few years after. I was like 13, 13 when I started the movie and 14 when we wrapped the movie. Did you know um, when you were filming that where you're like, this is going to be a, an iconic movie? No. No, I had no idea. I had no idea. No. I mean, what? I mean, it's like, so, I mean, that movie, like, it's so good. I have the same question for Wicked because I had Eden Espinosa on here. When you were doing Wicked, were you like, yeah, this, this shit is about to pop off? No. No, I didn't know. Here's the thing I will say about Wicked is that I, so I was, I guess you could say I was technically original cast because I was the first ever standby for Kristen Chenoweth, but the show was already in previews when I was hired or is already, it was already in previews when it was hired. And then I didn't start working until after it had opened. And so I saw it in previews and I was really excited to see it because I was obsessed with the Wizard of Oz. And I, um, and it did not disappoint. Um, and so I I didn't know that it would go on to be the massive success that it has. But I will say this, that my interest in seeing it because of what it was based on um, 
probably has had a lot to do with how successful it, it, it was initially, right? Like everybody's like, I've got to go see that. That's really cool. Um, and then you have these amazing songs and story that stand on its own. But the one I did know, the one I knew was going to be a hit from moment one, from the from just hearing the songs in the first act was Hairspray. That makes I so knew much it. sense. Yeah. We all knew we all knew we were a part of it. It was my very first ever technically Broadway show because um, Ruthless was off Broadway. Um, and I was like, I don't, I think it doesn't get better from here. I think I'm, I think we're going to peak. <laughs> I think I'm going to have a peak. I think this is going to be the best show and the best experience. And it's all going to go down from here. Um, <laughs> but we knew, we knew that, there was something really special and magical about this show and the music and the message and the group of people, the creative team and the other actors. And we were a really tight knit group. And I'd say we call each other the hairspray family. A lot of us um, I'd say most of us still very much are connected and great friends and like family. We are. That's so cool. I mean, yeah. What a special show and what a cast, my God. Just like you go, you look through that cast list and you're like, damn, 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 damn. Just like, yeah, Broadway royalty, truly. And we were babies. We were like, so a lot funny. of us were like so babies. We were like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Carrie Butler and I shared like a teeny, teeny, tiny dressing room, like the size of a closet and had a little teeny refrigerator. She was always drinking these green juices and they were blowing up in the, in the, um, in the refrigerator. <laughs> But, you know, just, it was magic. It was just a magic, it was like, I mean, talk about someone who knows my secrets. How do you hide any, anything yeah. from someone who, you, who you're sharing a closet with for over a year? Yeah. Oh my God, that's so, that's so cool. And do you know that there is like such a huge, I think it's always been there, but like really huge Legally Blonde fandom on, you know, Twitter, Facebook, every, people, there are people, there are comedians out there right now who are like making their whole uh, Twitter comedy presence about, you know, re revive Legally Blonde. <laughs> well, I, I know it's, it's interesting. Like when we filmed the MTV taping, we didn't really have any idea that it was going to be this that that recording of the show would live on in a way that generations after could see the show. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I have young actresses say, you're the reason that I decided to get into acting when I saw you in Legally Blonde. And I was like, honey, you were two years old. But I, <laughs> so I know for a fact you did not come to the show. But what they did is they saw it on YouTube or the MTV recording. Yeah. And I am I'm very grateful that that exists because there's this a beautiful recording of our show and I can say to my son one day look at how thin your mother was. <laughs> pop this in. Pop this in, kid. Look at, look at her. Look at her go look right there, her. honey. I That's have what to let mean. you go. I have to let yeah. you go because I'm keeping you over, but where can people follow you and where can they find the album? Okay, so you can follow me at, at Laura Bell Bundy. That's everything. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. <laughs> I laugh. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> on the TikTok but, every minute, every minute of the day. <laughs> um, and the album is called Women of Tomorrow, and it is available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, YouTube, everywhere you get your music. And, uh, and the music videos are all on YouTube. And if you follow me on Instagram, I have everything listed and uh, in my bio. Amazing. The album is so, so, so good. Listeners, buy it, download it, do everything you can to listen to it. Uh, Laura Bell, thank you so much. This was an absolute blast. It was totally my pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Yay. Thank you. Bye, listeners. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.